Well, Apple says it's 9.32, so A Apple says it. What time does Orange say it is? 9.30, so we're going to begin. <laughs> so we have, we have made it to section two of the book. Um, we are now learning how to engage our emotions after figuring out what in the world those things were. So pop quiz. Engaging our emotions. We, we said there were two pitfalls while we think about engaging our emotions. Do we remember what those were? What were our two pitfalls? John Carmen did that lesson. What? Stuffing and spewing. Good. Tell me more about that. And which one are you? I see. So by that definition, we know which one you are. We know that you are a stuffer and you allow things to get all stuffed until it spews, right? How about a spewer? Do I have any spewers in here? You just let it fly, right? Because it's best, really, if we just cleared the air at all times, right? And just whatever, is, whatever we're thinking, boom, let other people know exactly what you're thinking. That's best. Yeah. No, we decided those were pitfalls. Those were pitfalls, and that there's a better way, there's a better way to be. Do, do we remember what the better way was? Instead of spewing or stuffing, what was it? Engaging our emotions. Good, good. And you, do you remember the, this is, this is a bonus point here. Do you remember the four words? They, they were written up here on the board last week. The, the four ways that we engage. No, no, it would be being an excellent student. So go ahead, read them. Identify, examine, evaluate, and act. That's good. And so when we identify something, we're asking what question? You, you, what am I feeling right now? I never asked myself that question. I've learned to ask myself that question. What am I feeling? Because guess what? Are you feeling something all the time? Probably. And as for me, I know that I'm rarely engaging with that. Right? I don't go there. I can tell you what I'm thinking about because I'm thinking about something all the time. But not how I'm feeling all the time. So what am I feeling? Examining it, ask what question? Why am I feeling this way? And then once I realize I am feeling some way, then I ask myself, okay, why are you feeling this way? What has upset you? What went great in your life that made you feel this way? Right? Evaluate. What do, we, what do we do when we evaluate it? The emotion. 
we're, we're asking, is, yes, is this a good thing to be feeling or a bad thing to be feeling, right? Is, is there sin involved? Because if there's sin involved, then I need to go after that, right? But if it's good, if this is a good thing that I'm feeling, and I should be feeling it, then now we get to the acting part. Now I should act on this thing. Of course, if it's a sinful emotion, I should also act on it. And I should put it to death or repent of it or something else. Good. So that's engaging. Last week, Thomas encouraged us to engage our emotions as a way to connect with God. And what, what was the big word there? How do we do that? What verb? What? Pray. Very good. So prayer went along with, what am I feeling? Father, help me understand and answer the question of what am I feeling? And Lord, show me why I'm feeling this way and help me to evaluate this way I'm feeling and then help me to act properly based on those feelings. So that's good. So we pour our hearts out to our Father, remembering who God is and looking to Jesus as our example. And then there was a great quote in that chapter. Um, Anxiety is wasted prayer. That struck me. Anxiety is wasted prayer. That helped me to think more clearly about that. Um, So anyway, looking to Jesus as an example, we'll probably do a little bit of that today, but we're not going to get ahead. So now we're going to talk about engaging relationships. And um, this is mainly with one another, but, but also with God. Um, but before we talk about that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Lord's Day, this gift that you have given us to come together with our brothers and sisters in Christ and to worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to your word this morning, even as we think about engaging emotions with one another because we are the body of Christ and we thank you for that in Christ's name we pray amen so the way our emotions connect us with God and with others really goes back to 1 Corinthians 12 12 where we realize that we are members of one body Um, but let's let's look at that real fast 1 Corinthians 12 So the author says that this is that the way that we connect with one another is to remember that we are already connected to one another. 1 Corinthians 12, starting at verse 12. (coughs) For just as the body is one and has many members, and all members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. And then he goes on, you know, we know this. If the foot says, I don't have any need for the hand, then that will make for less of a person is not the right way for the foot to be thinking, right? So he's, he's, he's saying, go look in the mirror. Go look at yourself. And realize that this is the way that you are connected to one another because you are one body in Christ. 
Um, so this is the way that we connect with each other is, is by realizing we are connected to one another and now we can talk about um, the emotions involved with that connection. Um, another way to think about this connectivity is, is a doctrine. Is there a doctrine in the Bible that you know of that talks about the connectivity one to another? Is there a whole chapter in the, in the Westminster Confession of Faith on it? Communion of the saints. Good. Let me read you the, the first section. This is chapter 26. All saints that are united to Jesus Christ, their head, by his spirit and by faith, have fellowship with him in his graces, in his sufferings, in his death, in his resurrection and glory, and being united to one another in love, they have communion in each other's gifts and graces. And are obliged to the performance of such duties, public and private, as do conduce to their mutual good, both in the inward and the outward man. This is the communion of the saints. It's based on the fact that we have communion with Christ because we're united to him. And because we're united to Christ, we have communion with one another. Um, I just love that idea. We are obliged to the performance of public and private duties toward one another because we are united to one another. Um, I, think, I think that's great. So that's what would lead to ideas in Romans 12 where we're told to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. There's the emotional effect of the reality of being united to one another because we're united to Christ. So that's kind of the basis behind engaging relationships is we are in a relationship with one another if we're believers. And now let's, let's talk about engaging in these relationships. So um, is there any problems that arise, though, because we are members in the same body? Do we ever have problems with our members of our body? Sometimes we have problems, and those aren't good problems. We end up going to the hospital and, and needing surgery and stuff like that, right? Well, our author, he gives us a, an interesting, um, hopefully, um, he, he says it's, it's not he and his wife, but he gives us an example of Husband and wife in a car, they're running late. I know this never happens to any of us. Running late, and um, the husband's like, well, if you didn't take so long getting ready in the bathroom because I have not been running late, and the wife's like, why are you driving so fast? Because we're going to be okay. You're going to kill us on the way there. And there's no conversation, and there's no music playing, and people are screaming at each other. And he, he uses that example just to help us look at the emotional side of what's going on, he says, in a sense, they are two members of a body separated by their emotions. So this is, this is the reality of the sinful world we live in, is we can be members of the body and yet be separated by our emotions. Um, and so the authors give us a script for relating they say it often serves relationships best when emotions have a clearly defined role to play 
and we know when it's time for them to do their part. One way to encourage this is to follow an order of procession for emotional connecting. Kind of like a wedding ceremony. And those are very ordered, aren't they? Don't we hire people to make sure the order goes correctly. Right? Each emotion has a purpose, has a place, and a time to step to the fore. You could think of this order as a script because it often doesn't feel natural and it takes practice. And that's what, that's what scripts and plays are for, right? We often wonder in a movie, why did such and such do so and so? And the final answer is, it was in the script, right? So here's the script. Here's the three steps. Here's the questions that we want to be asking. Um, this is what it was like for me. What was it like for you? That's, that's number one. Number two, so this is what it was like for you. Am I hearing you correctly? And then number three, how can we do things differently? And this must change, right? So the, the best way to start this off is to think, all right, when something happened, when an occurrence, an event, something that you shared with someone, when, when this happened, I felt this way. This is, how, this is how the conversation starts. As we think about this is what it was like for me. Um, so, the first line of the script can be the hardest to say because what usually comes at the front of the line what, what was the biggest problem inside the quiet car as they're flying down the road going over the speed limit? Silence because they're both probably what with each other? Mad and angry at each other. So, so is, this, is this something that comes naturally when anger is the first thing we feel and anger is the thing we let fly? Is, that, is this said in anger? Does this come to your mind? This is what, it, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe you spewers would be like, let me tell you what I'm feeling right now, and anger is flying about. But the authors would say, okay, so what we need to do is we need to take a step back, right? We need to have some, some contemplation. Remember the engaging things? Remember the, the parts about engaging? And, and say, rather than leading with anger, Let's slow down enough to connect with the genuine concern that we have for the other person, right? So the first step is essentially an invitation to disclose and connect through your own vulnerability. Oh, that is a scary word. So this is what's needed. Emma, how do you spell that? Okay, good, thank you. We need vulnerability. See, you, you write big words on the board and you make yourself vulnerable because you're like, I hope I'm spelling this right. Especially when your mother was a grammar teacher and you were homeschooled. <laughs> Very important things. So this is what, when, when we're working through our emotions with another person, it's important to, to begin with our own vulnerability. Right? We're not, we're not going to what we know they're vulnerable with, right? So this is very important because only people willing to stop attacking and accusing and open their hearts to each other will be able to overcome the conflicts, right? 
vulnerability is easy. And it's the first thing that comes to our mind. No, right? They would admit vulnerability is difficult. It feels much safer to hold back, doesn't it? Maybe even it feels safer to hold back and let the other person spew. Why, you're a stuffer. I'm a stuffer. And, okay, that's fine because now I don't have to share what I'm feeling and I can block these negative emotions you're sending my way because I'm, I'm stoic and I can put up with this stuff, right? Is that vulnerability? That is not vulnerability, right? What does that mean, by the way? Vulnerable. Yeah, for being what? Hurt, yeah, because that's the, the vuln part of the word. You're, you're able to be wounded. That's literally what the word means. You make yourself able to be wounded. That doesn't come naturally to me. I don't know about you. I, I'm not sticking myself out there and saying, here, hurt me. Remember, it takes two to keep a war going. And when you lead with vulnerability, you are retreating from the battle by acting in humility, putting the good of restored relationship ahead of your own comfort or having to be right. Oh, <laughs> this guy knows me, right? Um, and, and then they did this interesting thing. They reminded us of Romans 2.4. Now, this is talking about God and saving, but I think there's a good principle here. We know this verse. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Well, what about kindness in general? If you show kindness to someone, does that make it easier for repentance to occur? Yes. So here, I'm going to, I'm going to not send a shot across your bow. I'm going to be vulnerable. And I'm hoping that this will lead to some sort of repentance between the two of us because there's sin involved. Because, you know, we're both two humans. And certainly if I'm angry with you, Probably there's sin involved. This is what should be going on, at least in my mind. So then we asked the question, so this is what it was like for me. When such and such happened, when I was waiting five hours for you to get done in the bathroom, and now we're late, this is how I feel about it, right? But here we go. What was it like for you? This is what I was feeling and experiencing how about you, right? What, what does that take? Okay, that's good. We're going to get to patience, by the way. I think patience is part of all this. The authors say this takes empathy. Hmm. What does that word mean? Is there two words in there again? Is there two Greek words in there again? Hate those words. All right, what does that mean? Yes, so in... Feeling, or did, did you take a class called pathology? Was that about feelings? What was that about? The study of? <laughs> and they were working properly or they were not working properly? No. So pathology is something bad, disease, suffering, right? 
So this is us realizing, all right, something good is not going on with you, and I'm going to be willing to jump in there with you. That's what empathy is. Not a Josh strong point. Josh is really good about telling you what's wrong with you. You pay me a lot of money to tell you what's wrong with you and to fix what's wrong with you. But I kind of stand outside of it, right? Because I'm like, I'm getting you numb and you hate that. And, but you're glad that I do that. And then I fix the problem. And then you go up front and you get even more bad news. And then you leave, right? But I don't have to jump in the middle of this with you too much. Unless your two-year-old walks in and she's fell and split her tooth. And it's your first child. And you're thinking the worst possible situation that could ever occur. Right? Oh, you're going to have to take this tooth out. And I'm sitting there trying to find this, the problem, right? I'm like, oh, what, did, what happened here? But oh my gosh, mom can't even speak English and she's going crazy. And dad's like, okay, hold on. And he's relaying to her what she's saying. I know what she's saying. I don't know a word what she's saying, but I know exactly what she's saying. And I can jump in the middle of that. And I can be like, okay, hold on. It's going to be okay. I was there once, you know, redid dumb things. You know how many stitches Reed got? before the age of 10, <laughs> that I did. Um, I've been there, right? And so let me jump in here. Everything's going to be okay. Roman knows how many stitches. Everything's going to be okay. So there is a time for empathy, right? <clears throat> so jumping in, right? What was it like for you? Remember, emotions are about connection, which means both being known and knowing. So this is a very important thing and not, not very easy for some of us, the end knowing part. Um, your vulnerable disclosure should be followed with a genuine invitation for the other person to do the same and your willingness to listen and empathize. Um, so this is what it was like for me. What was it like for you? Right. OK, next. So this is what it was like for you? In other words, I was listening. That's good. But I was doing more than just listening, right? I was, I was understanding. I was feeling what you were feeling in some way to the best of my ability, right? And so what is required with this question? The authors say charity, but we know what that word means, right? Love, right? So I love you enough because what's the first thing that Corinthians tells us love is? Who said patience earlier? Right? I, I slowed down. I was listening to what you had to say. And let me make sure I got this right. So this, this is what you were feeling. Because maybe I didn't listen so good. Maybe I was still, maybe I'm st still stuffing some stuff, and that was interfering with my ability to hear you. And if I say, oh, so, so this is what you said, and I'm wrong, then this is your opportunity to say, no, let me say it again. And next time, hopefully, I listen better, right? And we need love for this. Um, simply restating the other person's uh, perspective charitably in the most genuine and accurate way possible, can significantly de-escalate 
the conversation, the, the anger in the car, and it reestablishes credibility, rapport, trustworthiness, and friendliness that the relationship was built on, hopefully, in the first place. And when we charitably state someone else's perspective, it grants the person's viewpoint a dignity that would be missing if you merely caricature his or her experience in order to make your own point. Ah, oh. straw man argument? Are we good at that? I'm good at that. Um, but there's a big but here. So this is what it was like for you. What if I completely and accurately describe exactly what you felt when we're in the car? Does that mean that what you were feeling in the car was right? No, not necessarily, right? So that's one good thing we can at least take away from. I may be able to completely and accurately tell you what you're feeling because I listened to you. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're right or that I necessarily agree with it. But at least I understand it, right? And I think that's, that's important to realize because some of us are nervous, right? Because we're going to want to jump on it. You felt that way. Maybe there was some wrong in the way you felt. And I want to jump on that and correct it really quick. But that's not how we should be. I, I don't have to agree with it. I can just restate it so that you know that I understand that what you were feeling, I, I heard you and we understood. Everybody better with that? that? That makes me less nervous, right? And then we ask the question, am I hearing you correctly? And this will take humility. And now we're going to say it out loud and patience. And patience. Am I hearing you correctly? So now I'm asking you to evaluate what, what I just said about what I heard you say. Just to make sure that you are okay with what I heard. This is good. Um, take some humility. Right? I care, I care more about what's going on with you than winning the fight. Um, if the other person gets the sense that you're listening just to earn the right to vent your own frustrations, then your charitable summary isn't going to be meaningful. So um, let's ask the question. Did, did I hear you correctly? And at this point in time, have we y'all all familiar with that emotional capital, the emotional bank between relationships between two people? The, the authors would say that this is putting capital in our relational bank account when we get to this stage. Now, you would think as a guy, I don't know, maybe not all guys, but I would think, hey, emotional capital starts up there. I put my anger away and I opened up and I'm all vulnerable to you and I asked, Hey, this is what it was like for me. I'm actually talking about my feelings. Come on, that's got to be worth something. But the authors would say, all right, now, now we're starting to build that emotional capital back into our relationship way down here at this stage. And I think, I think that's good. All right. Number three, how can we do this differently? Because we've decided that 
things didn't go well. Things didn't go right at the beginning. So how can we do this differently? And what's this going to take? Good. They're going to bring up, it's going to take courage. Because now you may have to do some changing, right? Uh, everything we've done so far is just, is just words, right? Lots of words. But now all of a sudden, this is going to require, this is going to require some action, right? If we're going to do this correctly. And that, that takes courage. So it, it takes courage to do the work of change rather than emotionally withdrawing and walking away, right? So the process begins with vulnerability, our willingness to reveal our heart, and now vulnerability comes to the foreground again, but here it's more helpful to think about it as courage. We know how badly things can go, um, but we understand and care about each other. We realize something was wrong, and let's do something about it, right? And then... It can reach the point where we, we say, this must change. And now, now, at the last, instead of at the first, now we can talk about anger. This must change. I, I, I thought his definition of anger, when we did a whole study on anger, if, if, if you missed that study, if you struggle with anger, if it's been a while since you've thought about it, you should go back and look at that study, and that book was really helpful. But he talks about, um, you know, how Scripture warns us most often about anger. We tend to prefer anger to emotions that make us feel weak or vulnerable. Anger is fast, capable of moving from mild annoyance to rage in a matter of seconds, right? But there's a positive side of anger, he would say. The purpose of anger... It gives me the energy and courage to address wrongs. It gives me the energy and the courage to address wrongs. So how can we do things differently? And I can be angry with myself because I realize after all this, I'm like, man, I really, really messed up. And I got to change this. And anger is going to give me the energy to do the right thing, to realize there is something really bad going on here. I, I got to fix this, if it's with me or if it's with the relationship. But this, this is the stage where we engage anger positively, the, the power and the emotional expression to we got to fix this and go ahead and fix it. Right. It gives us the bravery to stop destructive interactions. And that makes angry, anger a good thing. But then they're going to give us warning. And oh, man, this was another one. I was like, oh, these guys, were they, were they there the last time I talked with somebody? They're going to talk about the warning of nonverbal communication. So this was really one of the best things about COVID. I think we could all agree. Because during COVID, everybody was wearing a mask. And it was much harder for us to pick up on nonverbal communication, right? This is why I wear a mask all day. <laughs> right? 
And, and where is this most easily um, seen? Oh, our face, right? Good. So um, our facial expressions, how about if you can't even see me? Oh, did you write this chapter? <laughs> our tone and our facial expressions. Mm, y'all, I could give y'all some uh, crazy examples of somebody calling me out on this. And I'm like, mm, I'm trying to be good. I'm like, mm, I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it. I'm stuffing, right? I'm like, mm, I just want to let it fly, but mm. And like my stuffing apparently has a look on my face that lets everyone know that I'm stuffing and they don't want me to be stuffing they might be spewing. They want spewage as well. I'm stuffing, but my face is saying all that you need to know. That, that there's this going on at the beginning, and that's probably sinful anger, not helpful anger, and it's just a big mess. So, especially the facial expressions. I'm like, I get so used to wearing that stupid mask, I have to remember I don't always have it on. <laughs> And that gets me in trouble. Um, so these, this is just the big warning they give us. Some of us need this warning more than others, apparently. I definitely need um, this warning. But this is, this is the, the script for engaging relationships with one another. Um, and in a very practical sense, we're going to practice this. And Roman come forward. I, I will give, I will lead by example, and then we're all going to do a little bit of this today. Dun, dun, dun. So, what we're supposed to do? When, what should we talk about? That we both experienced. No, 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 no. Oh. That we're both experienced. Something happy. We can have this. We don't have to. This doesn't have to be something bad. I know y'all, some of y'all got nervous. You're like, oh my gosh, he's going to do this to his kid right here in front of us. <laughs> when we think about Roman graduating and going off to college, I feel excited. I feel proud. Um, a little apprehensive. Um, I know I'm going to miss my, um, my buddy. Um, What's it like for you? I'm also excited because there's going to be a, a huge organic change for us. There's going to be completely different types of things. So, Good. So what you're saying is it's going to be mostly <laughs> exciting. <laughs> when you move away from home and you're living up in Canton, and you're playing frisbee and working and hanging out with people and studying. This is, this is what you're saying? That's mostly exciting. Yes, in that I know. I put it in the correct order. So am I hearing you correctly? Okay, good. Good. So there was nothing negative here, so we don't have to ask the question of how can we do this differently in this Oh, maybe the order would require a bit of change. Maybe there should be a bit of change to the order. 
Maybe a complete reversal of the order? <laughs> but that's okay. Um, uh, Roman and I, we don't have any issues with nonverbal communication because we both let it fly with one another. We, we have the same nonverbal. Yeah, this is true. We have the same voice. His friends at school come up to me. Thanks, buddy. You can sit down. His friends at school come up to me and say, would you just talk to us? We want to hear Roman's voice come out of someone else's mouth. <laughs> More than one of his friends has said that to me. So not only does he just like me and look just like me, but he sounds just like me and what he says. So here's what we're going to do. So find someone nearby. And um, if, if it's somebody like you two and you have something you can actually talk about, by all means do it. If it's a married couple, then by all means, if you got something that, you know, you want to have a counseling sort of time and you want to go back there in the room, <laughs> feel free to do that too. But we're, we're just going to practice going through these steps. The rest of us can easily, we got stuff in common. We can talk about Grace Church. We can talk about when, you know, these years I've been at Grace Church. This is how I feel. This is how I feel about worshiping in this local body and community. And how do you feel? So we can do this. So let's, t let's take three minutes and let's do this. What are you guys going to talk about? <laughs> I'll kind of talk about something. Well, we got to talk about something. Let's talk about not talking. How about that? How about the dog? How about the ducks? Let's talk about the ducks. He doesn't like that. How do you like the animal? Oh, you're the animal guy, right? Okay, we all think about something. Y'all think about something. Relieved? <laughs> I, I am relieved. Um, maybe I should enjoy partnering with people more often. Yeah, for sure. All right, we're going to close with these thoughts, these final thoughts. Let's look back at these words real fast. Who is the ultimate example of this? Christ is. Um, vulnerability. What did we say that word meant? Ability to be wounded. Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, stripes, we are healed. There was Christ's vulnerability. How about empathy? Did he jump in to our suffering? Does he understand our suffering? What, is I, what does Hebrews 2 tell us? Hebrews 2, since therefore... 
the children share in flesh and blood, he, Christ, himself, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Does, does, he, does he know what it's like? Was he tempted just as we are and yet without sin? Yeah. How about love? I mean, is he not love? Didn't he not say that God is love? How about humility? Um, in uh, question, um, question 46 of the larger catechism is this. Um, what was the estate of Christ's humiliation? What, what did Christ's humility look like? This is, this is the answer. The estate of Christ's humiliation was that low condition, whereas he, for our sakes, emptied himself of his glory, took upon him the form of a servant, in his conception, in his birth, in his life, in his death, and after his death until his resurrection. In other words, Christ's entire time on earth, from conception until right before he was resurrected, was, a, was pure humility. And it got more and more and more and more his humility until he's dying on the cross for us. How about courage? <clears throat> you know what a definition for courage is? I love this. John Wayne said, courage is being scared to death but saddling up anyway. Right? It's not lack of fear. It's doing the right thing when you're scared to death. Where, and where do we see that best with Christ? Garden of Gethsemane, right? He goes, he's realizing this wrath that's about to come down upon him because he knows his Old Testament. That's how he realizes it. And he prays to the Father, is there any way? But his ultimate answer is, but not my will, but yours be done. That's, that's the ultimate courage. How about anger? Was Jesus angry? Without sin? Yeah, what was he angry about? He was angry about the sin that was going on where? In the temple, where the Gentiles were supposed to be able to come that far and pray, and instead it was being turned into service merchandise. Y'all don't know what that is. It was turned into Walmart, and this made him very angry, but because he saw that it was interrupting people's relationship with his father. That was righteous anger. So again, if we're having trouble with any of this, you, you, have, you have an older brother, you have a savior that is a perfect example of all these things for us. Um, and as we become more like him, hopefully we can express it in ways as we engage one another in relationship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these practical um, yet good and useful um, ideas regarding steps we can take to engage with one another. Father, we know that this is not easy. It obviously is not part of our sin nature to react this way and respond this way, but we pray that by the power of the Spirit, we would engage with one another in a way that would honor you, 
remembering that we are all members of the same body because we are united to Christ. And the bond that binds us all together is love. So help us to express that love one to another, even during the difficult times. Um, help us to engage with our emotions with one another so that you would be glorified most in our relationships. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Get out of here. <laughs> That's good.